time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. (laughs) Zumio is a -a one-of-a-kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com slash Rachel. That's R-A-C-H-E-L for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. All right, friends, today we have someone on the podcast to have a conversation about something that a lot of people are having conversations about and frankly, often more inaccurate than accurate. So I am thrilled and honored and excited and elated to welcome my dear friend, James Rose. James Rose's pronouns are they, she, and they are a gender fluid, non-binary New York City based actor, writer, and extremely famous beauty and dance influencer. They write about gender, sexuality, eating disorder recovery, sex, their feelings, and their exes, which is true, on Instagram and TikTok, where they hope to leave the internet a little bit better than they found it. Do you all see why we're friends? James, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I literally just had like a late night Jimmy Fallon like show entrance (laughs) moment, except like, the exact host I would always dream of having. I think you should have a late night show, actually. Ooh, and it could that's... be like sexy time with Rachel before bedtime. We could like workshop the title. No, let's just leave it sexy time with Rachel before bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. So, okay. I am so excited to have you on. The timing of this is perfect. I know that, you know, oh, podcasts are evergreen and evergreen means friends that like you can listen to it anytime and it's applicable. But I'm going to talk about something really quick before we dive into everything, which is you just finished playing Hedwig in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And I I just wanted to give you like two minutes to tell the people what that was like and what it is. And I just want people to get a feel for you before we, you know, dive into all of this stuff. Oh, thank you. So I did just finish a run as uh, Hedwig and Hedwig and the Angry Inch at Constellation Stage and Screen, which is a now theater and film company in Bloomington, Indiana, which was wonderful. Um, I mean, we need trans art in the Midwest uh, more than ever right now, I would say. 
And Hedwig and the Angry Inch is a, I would call it a cornerstone of queer cinema. Uh, if you don't know it, Google search it. You know, you can see the original movie, John Cameron Mitchell's performance. John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask wrote this and workshopped it at dive bars and down on Jane Street. I mean, it was just, uh, it was such a rock and roll kind of story, but also in terms of like how it came to be, but also became a cornerstone of queer media. And so then being able to be one of the voices uh, and one of the first openly non-binary actors to take on the role professionally was exciting. And I worked with John Jarbeau, who is our director. She is another genderful person. And so to be able to be directed by a trans person and to be a trans person in a role that does uh, very strongly include gender nonconformity, but in a way that has never been told by publicly trans people at the time, was an exciting undertaking to me. And uh, a lot of times when you're revisiting and like, I wouldn't say updating queer work so much, but like, I guess there is a little bit of updating for mm -hmm. a 2022 audience. One of our values was to, you know, make this applicable to the folks that we're walking in today, to today's trans people. And being able to dive into a role that, you know, go look it up and you'll see how it works with gender and how it complicates gender and how, you know, there were parts of it that have historically been problematic and what were we going to take with us? What were we going to shed? What was important to the story? Um, and ultimately, how could we connect with trans people today? And getting to hold hands and sing to and meet and inspire and be uplifted by and be inspired by so many queer and trans people that came to see this show. We counted from 13 different states. People came to see this. It was Unfucking believable. Absolutely wild. One of the best experiences ever. I can't wait to continue creating trans art for trans people. Ah, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm just, <laughs> I, it, yes, you're incredible. Okay. So for those of you who have been around for a little while, you may recognize James's name. Uh, James and I have taught gender and sexuality 101 and the fluidity of gender and sexuality. And today we're going to have a conversation about gender. So if you have yeah. attended that workshop, you may be like, hey, I may have heard a little bit about this before. Yeah, you have. And just like... <laughs> You know, everybody else, sometimes we need to hear things more than once to really have it sink in. I know I do. Um, so please, if you're like, oh, maybe I can like skip this 10 seconds because I know that fact. Just listen. Put us on like 1.5 <laughs> speed. If you, you know, if you're like in a rush, don't skip. So, all right, James, right off the cuff, I know that when I talk about fluid sexuality, and I talk about gender fluidity, often those two terms get interchanged and I hear yeah. people using them similarly. So how do you differentiate between gender and sexuality? I would say that sexuality is who you love, whereas gender is much more who you are. Both Beautiful. of them are you know, queer experiences for a lot of us and both of them fit in the LGBTQ plus umbrella but they are different. Sexuality is who you love, who you're attracted to. Gender is who you are, your relationship to gender norms, things like that. Thank you. I think that's such a simple way of differentiating. So, okay, now we know what gender is. It's who you are. So can you help explain the difference between gender and sex? Because those are another, oh, other yeah. two terms that get kind of, yeah, used interchangeably. 
Yeah. So sex is based off of a biological set of factors. It's something you're assigned at birth uh, based off of chromosomes, secondary sex characteristics, hormone composition, et cetera. Um, male and female and intersex are your most common forms of sex assignments. There are many more. If you talk to uh, biologists and people who study this much more in depth than I do, they'll tell you there are many more sexes in the human species. Whereas gender is the set of expectations for how you behave based off of your sex assigned at birth. Um, and so often you'll hear people talking about gender assigned at birth. So for instance, if you had two X chromosomes and you were assigned female at birth, then you would also be assigned woman at birth. And there would be a certain mm. set of expectations for you to act in society based off of how women are supposed to be in the world. And if you can hear the sarcasm dripping off of how I think women are <laughs> supposed to be in the world, you picked up on the right thing. Um, but gender is based off of social factors. Uh, sex is based off of biological factors. Both of them are human constructs that exist on non-binary spectrums. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. I know that there are some people listening that are like, yes, please continue. And then I know <laughs> that there are some people listening that are like, what is non-binary? What is the spectrum? And what is the difference between female and woman? So yeah. I want to I do those three before... <laughs> Before we move on. So can you explain the concept of non-binary in the specific uh, viewpoint of gender? Sure. So binary just means two. Like if you think binary code and computer programming, you think black and white is a binary, things like that. Uh, binary just means two options. And humans are so complicated that we can never just have two options. You know, think of ice cream flavors, right? We don't just have chocolate mm -hmm. and vanilla. We have a whole shit ton of other ones, you know? And, and those swirl. Right, right. And swirl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Wait, I love that. <laughs> so I'm like a swirl with a lot of really good toppings and exactly. bottomings, depending on who you talk to. Um, <laughs> so non-binary means that you're just not in the binary. You're not chocolate. You're not vanilla. You're a swirl. You're mint. You're strawberry. You're Neapolitan. You have Reese's Pieces in you. You know what I mean? Like whatever that is, there are so many options. So I also think about it like a color wheel. And within a color wheel, we have blue and pink, right? Which could be our binary colors. But then you also have so many others. You have cerulean and chartreuse and electric yellow. And all of those colors are outside that binary. And so when you apply that to gender, man and woman are the two binary genders, which are most often what we're assigned at birth based off of the sex that we're assigned. So from biology, you then get a gendered set of expectations. Those gendered expectations usually fall into two categories, man and woman. And then from that, so many of us went, that's fucked up. That's not how I feel. That's not how I function in the world. I am not within the binary. Therefore, I am non-binary. You may also hear words like gender queer, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, agender. Those are all gender identity labels that exist outside the non-binary or they exist outside the binary. So they're all underneath the non-binary umbrella. So it simply means that you're not a man and you're not a woman when it comes to gender. You are one of the many, many, many other colors in the color wheel. You're one of the many other flavors of ice cream. So would someone who is non-binary be considered trans? Yeah, for, for my money, yes. And I, I don't have any money in this, but I have a brain in it, I suppose. <laughs> um, according to capitalism, yes, you have to identify this. But can you imagine? 
Uh, oh so, God. Yes, I can. Sadly. <laughs> literally I can. Um, so transgender uh, are people who, anybody who's transgender was not assigned. Sorry, let me back that up. If you're transgender, you are not the gender you were assigned at birth. Cisgender means that you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Transgender means that you are not the gender you identify with at birth. So for instance, Rachel was assigned woman at birth. Rachel's like, hell yeah, I'm a woman. And I'm like, love that about you. You're cis. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then for me, they assigned me something at birth. It went really wrong for like a good 20 years. It just didn't work. It was just like the computer programming was glitching. Like I was lactose intolerant, right? To this flavor of ice cream. And I I was like, oh, I'm transgender because I'm not the gender I was assigned at birth. And that's all that really means. I would say that yes, non-binary people are transgender. You will, sorry, you will find people within the non-binary community that do not identify with the word trans. That's their prerogative. That's another flavor of ice cream. I would say by definition, sure. I don't want to enforce another binary on us, yeah, of but course. I would say that like, you know, within the breadth of identities and at its most basic core of understanding for those of you who I welcome as beginners. Oh my gosh, we were all beginners at this at one point. You could think about it that way. And that would be accurate for a lot of us. I Beautiful. specifically identify as both transgender and I identify as non-binary because those are both specific lived experiences I have and specific oppressions I face in the world systemically. So, okay, I'm going to take a detour for a second. Would you be open to sharing some of the oppression that you experience? Because I, hell yeah, awesome. I <laughs> I think that you know so often we hear about these things in the news or um, in an article, and you know here in New York and with the people that I associate myself with, my social circles are so diverse in that way that I understand from more of a I have seen it right. I'm cisgender, so I haven't experienced it. I've seen it. I've been close to it. And I can only imagine that someone living somewhere else that maybe they're not mm -hmm. as exposed to oppression. I mean, or they are, but not they're not as exposed to fluidity of anything. Everything sure. is binary. And there are so, not as many examples. Exactly. Exactly. So can you share a, a little bit about what you go through and, and what that's like? I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive, and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150 card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework adapted and approved by me that guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code Rachel for 30% off the new After Dark deck. 
I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation. I would start by saying that regardless of where you are in the world, you absolutely interact with trans people. You just may not know it. Thank you. And there are always examples like around the the world, whether they're in your community, whether they're in your online circle, you know, we're everywhere, regardless of what kind of statistics they're trying to throw out at you about how much of a minority population we are. It doesn't matter how much of a minority we are, we exist. And even if we are only, let's say, 1% of the population, do you know how many freaking people there are in the world? you know how many people 1% is of that population? It's a fucking ton of people. You could fall in love with a trans person and not even know it. Um, just listen to the sound of my voice for long enough. It'll happen to you too. No, <laughs> so they, it's very different depending on people's lived experience of transness. So I'll just talk about specifically some of the things I face. I use pronouns that are, you know, considered non-traditional pronouns. I use they, them primarily. I also use she, her. Both of them are not pronouns that people often associate with somebody who looks like me. And so there's a, a constant unlearning that has to go on in communities around me. And I get what we call misgendered, which is when people use the wrong pronouns to describe me. For example, if you looked at me and you used the words he, him to describe me, that would be wrong. If you were using those pronouns, you would be misgendering me, which actively causes me a lot of harm. A lot of trans people, myself included, experience dysphoria, which is the mismatch of either how we look or how, we treated, how we're treated in society based off of who we are. And so it's deeper than just like being disrespected. It's actually a psychological phenomenon where because of the incredibly cruel mistreatment of living in a world that is so committed to white supremacy and to binary and to oppressing any sort of gender diversity, the harm that we experience is multifaceted and multi-layered. And so being called the wrong words takes an incredibly strong toll on me because I've already got so much stacked against me, right? Um, I present in a way that is more feminine, which is often not expected of people that look like me. Uh, and that is part of my gendered expression. So if I go out and I'm wearing a dress or a skirt and I have like hairy legs, I'm often, people will say things, people will look at me weird. I will get comments, especially on the internet, but comments in person. And you would think, oh, well, yeah, you know, if you're going in some rural area, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I mean, walking down 48th Street in Hell's mm -hmm. Kitchen, people will say something to me. Uh, where I live, uh, which is a historically Black community in New York, they are amazing. They're wonderful. They're down with it. But like, you know, just because you're in a queer environment doesn't mean you don't experience that. So I experience getting misgendered. Um, if I wanted to access uh, like hormone replacement therapy, which is what a lot of trans people do when they're medically transitioning, say that you have a majority testosterone hormone in your body and you're transitioning uh, into womanhood and you want estrogen to be the primary hormone in your body, you would undergo hormone replacement therapy where you would be blocking the testosterone and taking estrogen into your body in specific states around the country. That would be very difficult for me to access, near impossible in some places now, especially if I were underage. Um, if I wanted to legally transition in New York, it's easier than other states. And by that, I mean changing my name, changing the sex on my uh, birth certificate or uh, not on my birth certificate, rather my passport or like my driver's license, any of those legal documents that I would need in order to 
oh, I don't know, get an apartment, get a passport, get, you know, like, get a driver's license, like, get to the DMV, like, you know, pay my bank statements, like, open a bank account, like, things that I would need on a basic level, you need all those documents to match. That doesn't always happen for all trans people because our physical expression doesn't always match the pictures on the documents, which doesn't match the sex on the documents, which doesn't match our gender. It's really a clusterfuck. And so I experienced things like that. And then of course, on a systemic level, my rights as a trans person, and especially for trans youth, are being legislated away constantly. There are nearly 30 states across the U.S. that are uh, attempting to pass anti-trans bills. And those are bills that are demonizing parents for allowing, and I mean like criminalizing parents, not just socially demonizing, criminalizing, criminal penalties for allowing your child to transition to affirm themselves. We're talking about, um, is it Alabama? Is it Arkansas? I can't remember. Is looking to detransition children now. You know, uh, the research shows us that, uh, like, look at Christina Olson's uh, Trans Youth Project out in mm-hmm. somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And she talks about uh, how we have scientifically proven that children know their gender as young as 18 months old, and they can start expressing it in a very specific way. I'm connected with tons of, of parents of very young people that are transitioning at four years old, that are growing their hair, that want to change their pronouns, people that are 10 years old that don't want to go through puberty and then can legally in some states access puberty blockers, which are very safe and completely reversible. And um, it's about bodily autonomy overall. That's really what I'm going for is that our bodily autonomy is being stripped away legislatively. It's not just about whether or not trans people can play sports, which is awful. You know, why are we legislating that away from middle schoolers? They just want to fucking swim. You know? Right, right. But like, at the same time, now we are taking away life-saving vital health care from trans people. And that includes trans adults, but it's definitely happening to trans kids right now. And what's happening uh, on right-wing media is that we're being demonized and we're being called content warning. I'm going to use some anti-trans slurs for the next 30 seconds. Uh, We're called pedophiles. We're called groomers. We're incorrectly called these things in the same way that gay men were demonized during the AIDS crisis for being Mm -hmm. air quote pedophiles and air quote groomers. Now it's happening again for trans people because we are slowly becoming more represented in society. We're slowly inching towards some more acceptance in some circles and people just can't take it and they have to legislate our rights away. So it's a multifold set of oppression um, that is, is really targeting trans youth. And I really encourage everybody who's listening to research what's happening in your states. Look at like the Trans Youth Project, look at the Trans Law Centers, Google things like this, just Google anti-trans bills and then your state if you live in the US and get involved because there are you know, community-based organizations that are working to fight these bills. And ultimately, this is going to harm trans people in unimaginable ways. I mean, we're going to see increased rates of attempted suicide, increased rates of suicidal ideation, hospitalization, the mental health toll it takes when, and I know a lot of people with uteruses are going to be able to relate to this after our recent Roe v. Wade ruling. When you do not have bodily autonomy, your mental health tanks. And, you know, that's an interesting segue. And I'll just stop after this because I know we have other questions. No, this is great. It's actually the same fight, you know, the Mm -hmm. fight for people with uteruses to have reproductive freedom is the fight for bodily autonomy. You have a uterus. You are the only one who gets to say what you do and do not want to do with that uterus. Right. Really basic. 
I have my own body. I am the only person who decides what I want to go on in my body. And if I want the hormone to be this, if I want my hair to be this long, if I want to wear a dress, if I want to have an abortion, any of those things are my rights as an individual person in the state. I argue, should not be legislating against those. And so the fight for bodily autonomy is not only about reproductive justice, it's also about trans youth. And I think that's been one of the difficult things for a lot of people new to the gendered conversation um, to wrap their heads around is trans people have been fighting for this for the last, you know, zillion years, but especially within the last couple of years when we've had this rise of anti-trans bills. And now all of a sudden there's this uprising because Roe v. Wade was overturned and a bunch of us are going, you know, not we told you so, but like, hey, bodily autonomy has been on the table for a long time. A lot of people just didn't take it so seriously because it didn't affect them. It just affected this one minority population of trans people that we can ignore, alienate, ostracize, etc. And that's just another version of like the oppression we faced. So... There's some nuance, I suppose. The honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that, you know, something that I really want to like reiterate for anyone listening is this idea of things not lighting a fire under our ass until it's something that affects us personally. Yeah. And that is how so many things don't happen in our world and specifically in our country. And so now that there's that awareness and like you've heard James talk about it right now and you're hearing Mm -hmm. me give another example, like (laughs) see what is not, what you have perhaps not paid as much attention to because it hasn't fallen under the umbrella of your labels and of your life, right? Like I, I am a queer woman. So what, what issues, what, um, what social issues are going on with gay men that I may not know about because I'm not right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They really kept it under wraps because I mean, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but, okay. I mean, also, I, and just final tidbit on this, because yeah. I think so many people will be so interested in it because I am, when you look at like legislative bodies, obviously the state is against anybody that, you know, doesn't uphold the utmost privilege, right? Like if you're not a straight white cisgender man that like is non-disabled, yeah. you're just fucked, right? They're like, fuck and, you. Right, literally. And, but then at the same time, if we look at the past couple of years of anti-trans bills, what they've done so brilliantly is desensitize us to the issue of bodily autonomy because it was just kids. It was just swimming. It was just sports. It's just middle school. It's just North Dakota. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden, boom, now we've got over half of the country that doesn't have reproductive rights anymore. Those are connected. Those are deeply connected. Our oppression is connected because all oppression is connected, but we're in the same fight. And I know that it's really difficult for a lot of 
cis women to accept trans women to accept transness because cis women themselves are oppressed by patriarchy. They are misogyny affected. And because of how cis women are treated in society, which is like shit, let's be real. Um, they're sometimes they feel like they don't have the space to then extend an, an olive branch, extend a, an outstretched arm to the trans community because they're busy fighting for their own safety. And I'm here to tell you it's the same fight. We're literally in it together. I'm not gonna do the oppression Olympics and say what's worse, but I am gonna say, look who they came for first. You know what I mean? And look what paved the way for all of us to be where we are right now, because the desensitization to bodily autonomy by using trans people as our primary scapegoat and our sacrificial lamb, so to speak, legislatively, that's how this was able to be accomplished. This is only going to go further and we are in the same fight together. And we have so much more that is similar than is different. The study of gender and the study of the diversity of gender is not about picking apart what's so different in other people and going, oh, well, that's why you are that way, which is different than me. You know, it's about, oh, how beautiful that you describe yourself that way and that you exist through the world with that flavor of ice cream. And I don't love pistachio, but I respect that. I love that that's mm -hmm. somebody else's flavor. I, as cookies and cream, I'm gonna sit here and I support you. And then, you know, pistachio does the same thing for cookies and cream, right? Like that is, I think that's what's missing a lot from the gender narrative is people are like, it's foreign and it's different and I, and I don't want to get anything wrong. I don't want you to get anything wrong either, but you're gonna. I get stuff wrong all the time. But what we can get right is the ability to support each other on making sure that we can fight for our rights to bodily autonomy because it's the same fight. And we are united together. Thank you so much for that. And yes, I've been hearing and seeing so much discourse back and forth about this on mm -hmm. social media. So I really appreciate you talking to it now. OK, I'm going to pivot Go yet again it. because yeah. we're just going with it. <laughs> I I think that hearing you tell your story is so much more powerful than the academic um you know these are <laughs> oh, the definitions yeah. and this is theory and like those things are really important y'all know that like i i love that shit. we yeah. can like analyze it all day long but i would just love in like just five minutes can you tell us <laughs> what yeah the, your whole life in five minutes please my James. whole life in five minutes sure. how did you come to when did you come out how did you know like at what point in your life because there are so many questions from people like can a four-year-old really know that they're trans or could a can a 13 year old identify that about themselves and i know i have my thoughts and feelings and i, I want to sure. hear your story yeah i'll share the story and then i'll let you decide what you think it is possible for young people to come up with and know about themselves. So I, this also might be a little bit different than the last time some of y'all heard this story because I have been revisiting it more and opening up new chapters. And I just did a project with a, a big brand for pride, um, which was great because like that gave me financial security. I've like never really had that before. Like, wow. Um, and I had to unearth a bunch of pictures of me as a kid and look at them. And in all of these pictures of me, and I mean very young, like as, as young as, you know, just starting to walk all the way up through my early grade school years, I loved to wear shirts on my head because it made me look like I had long hair. And I loved to play dress up and I loved to wear my mom's high heels and I loved to like do her makeup and I loved to do her hair. And I wanted my hair to be long like my mom's because I thought it was so beautiful and so glamorous. And I thought she looked like Cher because she kind of does. And, <laughs> uh, and I also looked like Cher. And so 
<laughs> and uh, so that was part of my experience. You're prettier than Cher. Thank you. Oh my God. Um, wow. Thank you. I, Stephanie J. Block, if you're listening, um, I think I should understudy you when it comes back. I also think we should do a production of John and Jen together. Just throwing that out there. Um, we'll make anyway. sure, we'll make sure Stephanie gets that. Episode. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, so my entire life, I was a gender nonconforming child because I did not uh, want to go played sports with the boys because that didn't fit. But I also didn't always want to play dress up with the girls just sometimes. And I did like to, you know, play in the dirt and do these traditional masculine things. And I loved trains and, and GI Joes and things like that. But I also wanted to do like Polly Pockets. And, you know, I wanted to read InStyle magazine. And I remember being, you know, nine years old reading first for women in the bathroom, you know, because I was like, this makes sense to me, you know, like what? Like the first for women magazine, like as opposed to men's health, like, you know, like, cause I hadn't, my attraction to men hadn't kicked in yet. And God, I wish I could get back to that place. But nevertheless, I grew up as a gender nonconforming child. And a lot of that was snuffed out of me by society and people demonizing the nonconformity, the self-expression, the beauty in uniqueness, because it didn't fit and they didn't know what to do with it. And so I stepped that away for a long time and I really conformed. Um, but I was always queer because I was always queer. I was never meant to fit into a cis heteronormative society. I uh, realized my sexuality later in life, you know, like around high school. Um, that was difficult because I didn't have people around me that I was attracted to, but I knew mentally like what I could picture myself with. And there was always like a glitch because it was never a girl. It was always like some man. And I was like, well, that's just because it's familiar for me. And I feel comfortable looking at porn with more guys because, because they have penises and that's familiar to me. James, James, you wanted them and that's fine. <laughs> now you have a lot of them. So like, you know, the story ends well, I'd say, but nevertheless, like, you know, my queerness, when I came out sexuality wise, I was like, oh, well now everything makes sense. I I'm gay. That's it. That's it. And it still wasn't right because, you know, I remember being so resistant to putting my pronouns uh, on a name tag at work mm -hmm. because I would have had to have put pronouns that didn't fit me, but they were the ones I was assigned for my whole life. So I had to go with them. And I just remember being like, I don't want to do this. You know, like this, we don't need that. Like trans people can figure it out for themselves. Okay, number one, asshole. Like everybody fucks up. And that was definitely one of my big fuck ups. Like I was an anti-trans person because I hadn't come to terms with who I was. And um, I obviously wasn't wearing shirts on my head. I, I wasn't wearing dresses. I wasn't playing into nonconformity uh, in middle school, high school, college, because puberty is, is so just um, accepting and uplifting and everyone's just so ready to nurture your full self at that time, <laughs> not. And so I remember after, after I'd graduated college, um, I had a couple of friends that came out as trans and I had to start accepting them for who they were and fervently loving them for who they were and defending them to people who didn't love them for who they were and starting to learn about gender. And I was like, interesting. Interesting. So you, like you felt like mm. you were not in the right experience for your whole life. Interesting. Okay. Weird. Um, that hits a chord inside me. All right. And I remember trying on this gold dress that's it's on my Instagram. Um, 
in a Macy's, the Macy's in Herald Square, uh, which is a, a terrifying place to be because it's giant. And I remember trying on the gold dress and looking at myself in the mirror and just whispering the words they, them to myself. And mm. it was truly like a cinematic moment where everything just clicked. And I, I heard the orchestra and I felt beautiful for the first time in a way that I had never allowed myself to feel beauty um, in a way that was holding its hand out to my femininity and allowing it to become a part of me. And in a way that was also apologizing, I felt to my inner child, because, you know, there I was at 20 something, putting this dress on and then seeing the full iteration of what that young person that just wanted to wear shirts on their head and wear heels and, and their mom's dresses, what they always wanted to be. So I mean, genuinely, in that moment, I was forever changed. And I came out on Instagram like two days later as non-binary and, and have ever since then tried to sort out exactly what that means for me. But I knew that once the fusion of my inner child and the inner child I had denied for so long and my current self, once I built a bridge for them, as silly as it was, they're just a gold dress, you know, but that was monumental for it's me. It's not silly at all. It can mean yeah. everything. It did. It meant everything. And I still, I still chase that fusion. I'm still putting parts of that back together. It's like gender discovery feels like being a welder and not having an instruction manual. And that's where I am. And I'm, I'm building something and I get more proud of it every day, but that's my story. And uh, it's, I, I want to make sure people know that that's not where the story ends. It's just where the fusion began. You know, and I think I'll probably spend the rest of ever figuring out exactly where I fit and how I function and what my relationship is to manhood and womanhood and femininity and fluidity. And, and I like that discovery because once we step in and accept the unknown, we give ourselves so much more space to be the breadth of our humanity. And that's what I feel like for me, gender is constantly chasing is the fullness of my humanity. And it started with mm. a, a gold dress in a Macy's dressing room. Mm, I love that. The thank you, thank Thanks you for letting me share that story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So the very last thing that I want to hit on today, and if anybody has questions about this episode, please tag me or James on Instagram. Yeah. You can write us. Like I do a lot of AMAs. James is constantly making content on the internet. Yes. That's incredible. We are both here for you. So if through any of this you're like oh but i have a follow-up question this is recorded yeah just tag <laughs> us write us like we are tag totally us. here yeah for sure lawanda massager is a woman-founded luxury vibrator brand that brings unparalleled quality to a notoriously sketchy industry lawanda originated as one hell of a classic wand all the power you could want with an award-winning design to match and has now become a full line of best-in-class, heart-pounding, hair-raising toys designed with pleasure in mind for all bodies. Take 25% off your order at lawandmassager.com using code Rachel Wright. Okay, so the very last thing, and this is something that um, actually has gotten, I think, more uh, accepted widely socially mm. and among ages and 
all other demographics. Um, and it's still something that I hear certain people having a very hard time with. So okay. I want to talk about pronouns. No, sure. Yeah. <laughs> there is so much back and forth of the term preferred pronouns versus someone's yeah. pronouns. Then there are people who cannot grasp using the pronoun they when referring to a singular human, which I, yeah. I really can't understand. Um, there's just so much discussion. So I would love to hear your take and what you frankly would like anyone listening to take away about pronouns. Sure. Let's start with uh, what a pronoun is. Um, obviously a pronoun is a word that describes a noun and they are gendered in the English language. And your pronouns are simply the way that you are to be referred to respectfully in space. That's all it means. Pronouns are not tied to specific genders, even though we do see patterns. For example, a lot of women will use she, her as their pronouns. A lot of men will use he, him. Many non-binary people use they, them, but not all. Um, for those of you that you know want extra credit, look up neo-pronouns, uh, especially on TikTok, and really start absorbing some of that information, which are pronouns outside of he, she, and they. He, she, and they are the ones that are most commonly established in the English language right now, but they're not the only valid pronouns. Uh, for the sake of this conversation, I'll just use those, though, because I want to make sure that we can get to a place of understanding from the basics. And uh, each of those pronouns can be used by any gender. Any gender can use any pronouns they want to. It is, again, just the way you are to be respectfully referred to in space. So if you were using any word in a sentence in lieu of my name to talk about this podcast, you would say something like, oh, I was listening to this podcast by these really hot people, James and Rachel, <laughs> and the guest, James, was talking about their experience coming out as non-binary, and she told this amazing story about a gold dress, right? So like, there we go, use both my pronouns and a sentence, that's how they function. And people get really tripped up on they as a singular pronoun uh, because they're so invested in grammar snobbery that they don't realize that they're actually just wearing an egg on their face because they has existed as a singular pronoun as long as it has existed as a plural pronoun or a gender neutral pronoun. Um, they functions as a couple of different ways in, in the English language. It functions as a, a plural pronoun. Oh, look at that group of dogs over there. They're all running around. Like, you know, that's a group. Um, <laughs> I was talking to James. They're so hot and incredibly smart. That was a singular usage of it. Oh my gosh, somebody left their wallet at this table. That was gender neutral and singular. I would just like to point out, you know, mm -hmm. we can use that when we don't know somebody's gender and we can use it as an affirmative. You used it as an affirmative when you're talking about me. You used it as a neutral when you were talking about the person whose wallet you, you didn't know. You don't know their identity. You don't know what they identify as. Um, and then you can also use it, like I said, as a plural for groups. And people get really stuck on that because they usually use it for groups as opposed to using it as a gender neutral or a gender affirmative alternative. So I would just like to clear that up. They has always been a singular pronoun. And in 2019, they was actually the Webster's Dictionary Word of the Year as a singular pronoun. So, um, you know, uh, to every English teacher committed to the dictionary, I would like to implore you to go get a 2019 edition. Um, so, <laughs> nevertheless, um, I would also like to point out that my mother is an English teacher who retired after 43 years. And so that's older than a lot of, that's more time teaching than yes. most people have even been using the word they. So I invite you to shut the fuck up and learn. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. 
Of course. Um, and then just in terms of like, your other question was about uh, preferred pronouns versus pronouns, mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. So pronouns, like I said, respectful way to refer to somebody in society. And then sometimes you'll see things like preferred pronouns. This is a tricky one. And then get, get your like nuance sponge ready to absorb some stuff that may okay. not sit ready? in yet, right? <laughs> ready, sponge, and Go. go. So, um, if you see preferred pronouns on a document, that's usually not the best. What we love to say is just, what are your pronouns? Not, what are your preferred pronouns? Because when you say, Rachel, what are your preferred pronouns? The implication is that I might know better than you what you should be, but like, Mm. I'm just going to go with this like gender stuff, like whatever to appease you. Right. But if you said to me, oh, James, I noticed that you use two pronouns, they and she. Do you have a pronoun that you prefer of your correct pronouns? I would say to you, yeah, I usually prefer they, but she is never wrong. And you would say, oh, great. Mm -hmm. So of your correct pronouns, you have a preferred pronoun. But my correct pronouns are not my preference. I don't prefer to be respected. I just might prefer one word over another. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Thank thank you. That's the distinction. Um, and I think I think preferred pronouns, when people are, are talking about correct pronouns, you know, when they would ask me, what are your preferred pronouns? It's like, oh, my correct pronouns are this, you know? I think yeah. it comes from a place of care and just comes from a, just a tiny smidgen of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally am not going to lose my mind over that whilst we're living in the current world we are. I would say that I would spend my energy on making sure trans kids can get affirming care and making sure people in Texas can get to a safe haven state to have an abortion. Those are the things that I would spend my time on. And other trans people might bite your head off at that. And you know what? That's their prerogative. They have different experiences. They have different trauma. You know, like ultimately everybody wants to be respected. And the best way to do it is just by using people's correct pronouns and then acknowledging that for people who have multiple sets of pronouns they might prefer one thing um i don't like to liken it to names and nicknames because it's not the same because your name is not your identity and your function Mm -hmm. in society it's just your name but you know you might be like oh i'm you know my name is rachel but i prefer people call me rach that felt like so weird to say because like i don't think anyone calls you that i'm so (laughs) sorry Uh, but like you see what i mean like yeah there's like oh a preference but like if i were to call you natalia you'd be like what yeah yeah (laughs) where exactly if and the difference there is like okay so if you called me the wrong pronouns it would harm me like i would i would be Mm -hmm. in pain it psychologically is damaging to be disrespected in that way it really does feel like an emotional like slap in the face it just it hurts very, very deeply um, if you were to use the wrong pronouns as opposed to like, if you use they and she, I'm like, cool, I love it. We're on the same on the same wavelength. Amazing. Thank you for that. In the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about how to talk about sex and other intense topics with your partner. And I mentioned working with a company that I love and have partnered with called Best Self Co. They're the company that I created the Intimacy After Dark deck with. Well, I love the team over there. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, we are combining forces to give one lucky listener per episode a free Intimacy After Dark deck. What do you have to do to enter? Visit bestself.co slash Rachel. 
Plus, don't forget that they are offering all my listeners 30% off the new After Dark deck. Again, visit bestself.co and use promo code Rachel. Okay, so as we wrap up this conversation, which could go on for fucking ever, and I Forever. maybe maybe we'll have to just have you back on. Um, I'd love to be back on. I love being here. Yay. If you could give everyone listening three action steps based on what we've talked about, or frankly, anything surrounding gender fluidity, trans rights, like anything mm-hmm. that we have talked about, what would those three things be? First thing is check what the laws in your states are and what are the mutual aid organizations? What are the specific people, not just organizations, what are the specific people that are working to help trans youth? Uh, and what can be your contribution to that? Is it, are you somebody who's great at marketing and you can put social media flyers out to like raise money for these people that are trying to get gender affirming surgery? Um, are you somebody who's really great at writing and, you know, like bullying your mayor about stuff? Like, you know, what is your place in society to advance social change? And where can you specifically center that around trans youth? They are vulnerable and not everyone can advocate for them. Maybe it's literally fine, you know, like, are you able to befriend and support somebody in your community who is parenting a trans child? And Mm -hmm. you just can be the ear that listens to what they're going through and, and have wine night with them, you know, whatever the deal is, like, how can you in your individual community get involved? I'm not asking you to donate to the Trevor Project or something like that because that's not as effective as creating change in your community. So that's number one. What can you do in your individual community with your unique set of skills, which are valuable and needed? What can you do to support trans youth right now? Um, Check your state, check your laws, et cetera. Number two, I would say is get out a journal or a blank Google Doc, a blank Word document, get out a voice memo, however you like to process your thoughts. Um, you know, mentally earmark this to talk about your therapist with and free write for just 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Don't let the pen stop. Just keep going. Don't let the words stop. Just keep going. What does gender mean to you? What does gender mean to you? What is your relationship to the concept of gender? How have you been victimized by it? How have you benefited from it? What do you know about it? What does it mean to use the words you use to describe yourself? What is your relationship to pronouns? What is your relationship to the way society perceives you? What does the media say about your gender? What do people in your life and from your childhood say about your gender? What are the expectations of your gender in your workplace? What does science say about your gender? Those are things that you can really start to grapple with and reckon with. And once you've free written about some of those things, then I think you're going to learn something about yourself. And then number three, so this is kind of like in order. I would say number three is hold space for each of those free write options to grow and evolve and allow that to be something that instead of scaring you and terrifying you into inaction, allow it to be something that motivates you to action. And whether that action is getting more involved in trans youth projects, you know, that are helping trans kids, maybe that's it. Or maybe it is just becoming a more accepting person. Maybe it's becoming a more celebratory person. Maybe it's going on your own gender journey. Maybe it's that you want to read more books about this and you want to get more resources. Let it inspire you and let it fill you up and get you more curious about the world that we live in and about the beauty that there is in diversity instead of scaring you into complacency or inaction. So 
<sighs> Number one, get involved in your community. Number two, what does gender mean to you? Number three, where can you learn and grow from this? Incredible. James, you're so wonderful. And I am so honored <laughs> that you're in my life, both as a friend <laughs> and professionally. I just, you blow me away every single time that we talk or get together. Oh, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks I will, for everything you're doing. I mean, you have been a huge inspiration for me as well and a huge teacher. And I have better sex because I listen to your advice. Well, that's one of the best compliments I could ever get. Thank yeah. you. I'm not like thinking about you during, but like I definitely think about, like I think about what Rachel do about this. You know what just I mean? Just like, you know, like, before and after, it's fine. Just before and after, I like debrief with them. I'm like, so Rachel taught me to like communicate in this way. Like, because I, I just watched like one of her like, videos from one of her workshops so like how was that for you um i'm also single so i'll throw that out you know there maybe no i'm just kidding it, <laughs> half kidding connected? half hmm. kidding half kidding no truly though i i really do appreciate all your work and i think that what you're doing destigmatizing sex and offering spaces for people to unlearn purity culture and to get in touch with their pleasure is paramount because it goes right into what we're talking about when we don't have bodily autonomy how can we have opportunities for pleasure and access to pleasure and pleasure in many ways is an act of resistance so i i applaud yes. you for your work thank you right back at you and i will link all of james's links in the show notes you can yes. find them follow them and like we said before reach out if you have any questions james thank you again Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yay. <laughs> I'm sure that was not 30 minutes. Well, you know, that's okay. It'll be great. I am <laughs> thrilled. You're fucking incredible. And I'm so, 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 so grateful. So Thank grateful. You. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for letting me be, be on this and to, you know, speak for 10 minutes straight for every answer. <laughs> oh, it was perfect. You're perfect. It was wonderful. So, I will let you know when I know the date that this is coming out. And yeah, have uh, you, you haven't started releasing any of them, have you? Uh -uh. I didn't think so. Yeah, I guess Roe v. Wade will be less topical then. Uh, Everyone will be used to not having rights. Hopefully it won't be. We'll but, have segregated schools. Yeah. Who the <laughs> fuck knows what will happen by the time this comes out at the rate that we're going. There are still people who are like celebrating today. And I'm like, are there really? I haven't seen any yeah not a lot but some and I'm, I'm like you guys don't, okay all right like I, there's a way to go on vacation or not go on vacation but like go visit your family in montauk and like get together and like not celebrate genocide i would say right like you can go in the pool and eat hamburgers without celebrating taking away autonomy yeah yeah all right lovey uh, let's catch up more soon and yeah. schedule something for when you're back and for your birthday and all that good stuff. Sounds good. Love right, you love, so much. Love you and too. If you need anything, let me know. I'm here for you. I got you. you. Same and love to your family. Thank you. Mwah. Bye. Bye. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.